if this is, is this working? We good? Okay. Um, hey, I am thrilled to hear that uh, the kids went on a missions trip. I, I, I know with me personally, uh, one of the greatest impacts made on my life was spending the summer in Philippines. Um, huge, huge impact. I know with my, my own uh, work as a youth pastor, some of the most significant times with the youth were when I took them to Mexico or, or, or Appalachia or one of these mission projects. Awesome experience. I can remember when I was a kid, a really young kid, I helped out in one of the mission projects my church had. I grew up in New Jersey, and my sister was actually in the youth group at that time. And they went, this was before like mission trips were really like the thing, and they went out to Long Island. And when they went out to Long Island, they did something called beach outreach. And they shared their faith on the boardwalk. My sister and a girlfriend of hers that was an artist, they uh, sat down on the beach and they did a, a kids club. And uh, I'll never forget uh, the youth pastor who at that time, you might know the name, Bruce Wilkinson. He was our youth pastor. He came, I, I guess, into fame years ago when, when he wrote a book called The Prayer of Jabez. But at that time, he was just a young guy. We all knew him as Bruce. And uh, Bruce, uh, he believed that God was really, really big. I'm sure he still does. And so my sister came with her girlfriend, and she was very excited. They had 30 kids at their uh, little beach outreach that day, and Bruce said, it's not enough. Pray for more. And she said her and her girlfriend, Carol, got on their knees, and they prayed and prayed and prayed that night for more kids. The next day they had over 50 and they were so excited and they came to Bruce that night to report and when they reported, Bruce said, it's not enough, pray for more. And by the end of the week, they had over 100 kids coming. That's just two of the 15 kids that went and they were doing their, their beach evangelism with artwork. Um, tremendous things happened and I'll tell you, out of those 15 kids, uh, I think over half of them are still in full-time Christian ministry today. Um, my sister didn't. She married an engineer, so she's been going across the world with her engineer husband, and she's involved in something called uh, 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 fel- uh, it's a Bible fellowship where they have Bible studies, uh, International Bible Fellowship, I guess is what they call it, where you're not allowed to tell what church you're from. You just come and you have a Bible study, and uh, wherever she goes, she plugs in. She's been a leader with them for, oh, 20 years, and uh, wow, one of the godliest women I know. Whenever I need uh, somebody to, to pick me up that I know is going to give me the word, my sister is who I call. Uh, what an impact missions trips has had. And I, I will tell you, on that particular summer that uh, Bruce took these kids, uh, and we participated. We participated by helping take the kids down there and, um, and uh, over there. Uh, they went to Appalachia the next year. But one of those years, and I forget exactly which one it was, I had uh, some significant things happen in my own life. I was just a young kid, and I, I remember uh, one of those summers we went on a great vacation where my dad took off work, and we went around the country in a camper. And uh, what an amazing journey, though. I still have those memories of Grand Canyon and the Redwoods, and uh, we, we did a lot of traveling. I don't remember that, though, but I do remember the scenes. Um, I remember I, one of those summers I held hands with a girl for the very first time. 
memorable moment for me. Um, but I think the most memorable thing I want to bring out this morning, and I think it will become memorable for you after I'm done with it, was the week that I spent in Northern Frontier Camp with my best friend Danny Ralston and Ranger Norm. And uh, it's in the Adirondack Mountains, uh, at least it was. I don't know where it is now, but uh, when we went up there, they didn't have running water in the bathroom. They had outhouses. And I think you all probably know what an outhouse is. If you don't, uh, there is no flush toilet in an outhouse. You have a hole, and uh, that's where business is done. And so we had outhouses, and our normal procedure was we would have our day's activity. We would come into our particular cabin, and on our particular cabin, Ranger Norm would give a devotional. And then when Ranger Norm gave the devotional after he was done, he, he would say, does anybody have to go to the privy? Now, the privy is what we call the outhouse, you see. And so <clears throat> on this particular night, Danny said, Ranger Norm, I've got to go to the bathroom. Now, now you understand, let me preface it with this. You heard stories from the time you came up. This was toward the end of the week, and you heard stories. You knew in your heart of hearts the stories weren't true. But they still lingered. And so we had heard about the privy monster. And you see, the privy monster lived in the outhouses and came out at night. And you know where he came out of. So when Danny said, Ranger Norm, I've got to go, and I really had to go too, I said, me too, Ranger Norm. And so he said, okay, go on down and, and come on back, guys, before we turn lights out. And so I took my brand-new flashlight with the brand-new Ever-Ready batteries that I had packed in my backpack before we went up, and I took it, and Dan and I proudly walked down to the privy. And then we went in together, of course, because I have the brand-new flashlight, you see, with the brand-new Ever-Ready batteries. And it shined very, very brightly. And so I held it while Danny did his business. And then Dan held it while I did my business. And as we got up, and I don't know how it happened, but somehow one of us twisted the wrong way, and Danny hit my elbow. And my brand new flashlight with the Everardi batteries fell from my hand. And it fell into that deep, dark hole, facing upwards. <laughs> and suddenly it stopped. Danny looked at me. I looked at Danny. We had this flashlight coming up out of this hole. And it slowly was moving. And we watched it as it slowly moved and got dimmer and dimmer and dimmer. And suddenly we looked down, and there was just this amber glow, and then it went out. And at that time, I couldn't see him. He couldn't see me, but both of us hightailed it back to the cabin because we were afraid that privy monster might be coming for us. Now, what is the memorable part if it's not already? Um, <laughs> uh how many of us have lives 
like that. We have the light of Jesus in us, but we have allowed the junk of life to crowd out his light. And while we might still have a glow about us, that bright light that we once allowed to reflect from our lives has gotten very dim with all of the junk, if in fact we ever had it to begin with. Why would a dark world run to embrace that? especially if it stunk a little bit. Um, Maybe it's because too many of us have been putting too much emphasis and priority on the wrong thing or things. And just like mine was on the Privy Monster that night and not my flashlight, maybe we've forgotten our first love and, and, and... We do things for Jesus, but we've forgotten that we need to nurture a relationship with Jesus. Christianity is a relationship. I'm so thrilled you're doing this series. It is a a relationship to experience. It is not a religion to follow. We are called from the very pages of the Bible, from the beginning of Genesis to the end of the Revelation, to seek God with all our hearts, all our minds, and all our strength. That is to be our quest. And the goal, when we seek Him, is to know Him, not to just know about Him. And the goal of our quest will determine the extent of our experience with God. If your quest is to gain information about God, you will accomplish that, but you will not experience the rich flavor of of a a, a relationship um, and all of the blessings that come with that. Uh, If your quest is to grow and know Jesus in the context of a relationship, your life will never be the same. And young kids that went to the camp and and they experienced that mountaintop experience, they're going to be able to take that mountaintop experience and live in the valley with it. That's what a relationship brings. A religion doesn't. Knowing about God is great, is wonderful, but it cannot ever take the place of knowing Jesus, of having a relationship with him. The relationship changes everything. Is your focus on gaining knowledge about Jesus? Or is your focus on a relationship with him? A.W. Tozer, oh man, what an awesome, awesome author, man of God, gone on before us in the introduction to his very excellent book, uh, a classic, The Pursuit of God. He said in, in 1948, he said, sound biblical exposition is an imperative must in the church of the living God. Without it, no church can be a New Testament church in any strict meaning of that term. 
But exposition may be carried on in such a way as to leave the hearers devoid of any true spiritual nourishment, whatever. For it is not mere words that nourish, uh, nourish the soul, but God himself. And unless the hearers find God in personal experience, they are not the better for having heard the truth. The Bible is not an end in itself, but a means to bring men and women into an intimate and satisfying knowledge of God, that they may enter into him, that they might delight in his presence, may taste and know the inner sweetness of the very God himself in the core and center of their hearts. Another great author that probably many of you are familiar with, J.R. Packer, he said that once you become aware that the main business that you are here for is to know God, most of life's problems fall into place of their own accord. And I think that is easier said than done, uh, J.I., but uh, I believe that he has it absolutely right. Once we determine our main task in life is to know God and we begin to pursue it, uh, pursue it other things that seem to have had such importance and demanded uh, and drained so much of our time, attention, and energy take a distant second place. And when that first thing is in place, first thing is in place, many of the other things that follow follow along much more easily. I, I liken it to building a wall or a foundation. If my first stone is placed down for my foundation, if it's square and if it's in place, my entire foundation is going to be accurate because all of the measurements are going to be taken from that first stone. That also means that not only is the foundation going to be secure, but the, 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 the structure that's built upon that foundation is going to be secure. But pity the person that gets that first, that main stone, that first section wrong. Everything else is going to be built wrong. I heard recently of a wealthy lake community. There was a beautiful new $700,000 cottage built on the lakeside, and it had just been condemned uh, because it was built on a faulty foundation. And uh, a later update on the story showed the home being destroyed, and while it's destroyed and, and, and coming down, the building contractor was seen in the picture watching. I wonder how many lives have been lived like that. Their quest and their goal was wrong. I feel young. <laughs> no matter how much I might look old on the outside, I feel young. I, felt, I feel the same as when I was in my 20s. Maybe some of you can, uh, can feel the, or, or uh, relate to that. Uh, but then I look in the mirror, you see, and when I look in the mirror, uh, I realize that I'm not young and I'm on the downhill side. Of course, I have five children, and they make sure they remind me of that as well. Um, but my mom, whose genes I am praying that I inherited a lot of, uh, is 93, and she still lives and takes care of her own home. She still drives to see her kids, many of us hundreds of miles away from her, and she does this on a regular basis. Uh, she takes hikes with her grandkids. It is not strange at all for me to see her throw one of the grandkids up on her shoulders and walk around in the backyard. 93! I'm sorry, I just haven't seen that too often. 
She amazes me. Computers don't frighten her. She has a Facebook account. She's amazing, to say the least. I, and I'll come back to her in a second. I, I don't know about you, but I still get sidetracked by the mistakes I've made in my past. I Regrets. I, I still struggle with some of them. I, I know. A friend once said to me, he says, Dave, regret is illogical. Okay, so maybe it is. I still struggle from time to time with them. And they still float around in my head, and they still cause me some grief, usually short-lived. But I can't imagine getting toward the end of a long, healthy life like my mom, only to learn, only to learn that your main thing is not main at all. Only to learn that your whole life has been built on a, a faulty foundation. And you have no time to make corrections. What a, to me, that, that's got to be a horrible, a horrible place to be. To get finished climbing the ladder of your life only to discover you've had it up against the wrong wall. Why am I spending so much time pounding this same point because it is really what all of the Bible is about knowing God knowing Jesus there is no greater pound point to pound according to the Bible once we've made the decision to embrace and begin a personal relationship with Jesus Christ we have begun to live forever. Once we have taken that right step, the next ones that follow, they follow a little bit easier. So the question for us today, what is our first step? What is our priority, our cornerstone, our main thing? If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, a follower of Jesus then your one thing, your main thing, your priority has already been given to you. And when you make it your priority, the rest follows quite easily. I love what C.S. Lewis once said. He goes, love God with all your heart and then do as you please. In Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, Jesus was questioned by the religious leaders as to what is the greatest law in all the commands. And he very quickly responded, Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. There is nothing else in the Bible that comes before that. That is the cornerstone. That is the priority, to love God with all your heart. You cannot love him without seeking to know him. And the more you seek to know him, the more you'll love him. You know, the Bible is filled with great prayers. We are impressed with Solomon's prayer. And by the way, your, your, when I gave the, uh, uh, your outline in your, uh, in your bulletin, um, I kind of wasn't, wasn't uh, clear in my own mind. So if, uh, if you want to jot some of these examples down, you can. In 1 Kings 8, we have uh, uh, Solomon's prayer, Genesis 18, Abraham's prayer, Exodus 32, Moses' prayer. Uh, but there is a prayer that I want to 
just quickly touch on, and that is found in John chapter 17. And it is by far the greatest prayer recorded in the Bible. And it is Jesus' prayer to his Father. It's called the High Priestly Prayer. John 17 is is the whole entire prayer. We're going to look at verse 3 real quickly, and it says, And this is the way to have eternal life, by knowing you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you have sent. Many of us know what it is to hear a true, real man or woman of God in prayer. There is something holy about it, something awesome about it. Uh, You almost don't want to pray yourself lest you disturb them. And far beyond all was this prayer that Jesus prayed to his God and his Father, which is the only long, continuous prayer of Jesus that's recorded in the Gospels. And the sentences, they are actually very simple, simple, but their ideas are, are deep, are, are meaningful, are powerful, are moving, and the more you take in what he's asking for, the more powerful it becomes. Genuine prayer is often like that. It often reveals a person's innermost being who they really are on the inside, and all too often they are not filled with grammatically correct, politically correct words. They are usually raw, simple, humble, very full words. John 17 is a unique opportunity to see the nature and heart of Jesus. And he says, and this is the way to have eternal life, by knowing you. Eternal life is found in an experiential knowledge. That's the word that's used there, gnosko. It's the kind of knowledge discovered uh, by experience. That's what it means. The Greek word is what we call a present subjunctive, which means that this knowledge is also a growing experience, a continuous experience. So follow me here. If eternal life is knowing Jesus, and what Jesus prayed here is that this knowledge is in fact what life is all about, then ought not we to be pursuing it? Jesus indicates that with his own words. As clear as all this is in Scripture, as consistent as the message is from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible, as as clear as it is through all of the history we have, through all of the classic men and women of God that we read about in the past, and they all come to the very same point, knowing Jesus. Go ahead, dig in, read them. It comes down to that simple point. Why then do we struggle so much with making it our priority? So how do we do this? How do we get to know Jesus? Now, we've got to think in relational terms. Some of us have a struggle with that. We've got to think in relational terms. Some of these things that we've been taught uh, about since kids are in the context of relationship, but we, we, some of us, we've not taken it in that direction. We've taken it in more of a knowledge direction. Read your Bible, pray, 
Your pastor just told you about these wonderful things. Go to church, participate in Bible studies. Things that we believers call Christian disciplines, they are good things. They are there to help us to grow in our faith and our knowledge and understanding of God. But the key is to remember they're here to help us individually to get to know our God and Father, Jesus Christ. What we're talking about is a relationship here, not a classroom experience. We're talking a person with a personality who is real and responds back to us and we respond to him. Not a God of religion, a religion that we happen to choose to embrace, but a God who we have an abiding deep relationship with. And those two things are so opposite each other. We need to think in relational dynamics. So how do we have a relationship with a living God? How does God talk to us? Well, his Bible, of course, his word, through speakers, through songs and creation, through the Holy Spirit moving inside of us. How do we speak to him? Through prayer, through our thoughts. And and I came across the the passage of Scripture in 1 Thessalonians in my devotions this morning. For we serve God alone who examines the hearts and our deepest thoughts. He knows our thoughts. Uh, So if he knows our thoughts, why do we have to write any thoughts down? Right? Why? He knows them. Um, And I want to talk to you this morning about this tool that Pastor was talking about. A tool. One of many. And... It's about writing our thoughts down on paper. He, he knows our thoughts, so why should we write anything down? Well, maybe it's not so much for him. Maybe it's more for us. Really, maybe we need to write to the Lord more. And I mean, it works in regular relational worlds, doesn't it? I mean, how many letters and notes do you have at home from a significant other that you keep? Husbands, wives, I know some of you are like me. You get one of those little notes and you kind of throw it into the, into the drawer and it stays there. And every once in a while, especially when you're going through tough times, right, you pull those out and you read it to remind yourself. How many times if I have a drawer in my desk And in that drawer is a file, and in that file is filled with notes that I've gotten over the years of people expressing their gratitude to how I have impacted their lives. Because when I struggle with what good am I really doing, I need some encouragement. I pull out that written word, and that written word helps and instructs me. I, every morning, open up a written word to me to be encouraged to be lifted up, to be reminded. Man, if it works in our relational worlds here, why don't we use it in our relationship with God? Thank God we have people in our past that have written down their words for us. I mean, we have the Bible as a result. Moses dedicated the first five of the books, of, uh, the author of the first five books of the Bible. He wrote it down. The prophets, all of their struggles, all of their interactions with God. Habakkuk, the, the, the book of the Bible, one of the Old Testament prophets. The whole thing is about his prayer to God and God's responses back to him. That's all it is. 
How do we have it? Because he wrote it down. Jeremiah, Isaiah, Solomon wrote down his words of wisdom. We have Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. Luke wrote his history, Paul, his letters, Peter and John and James. We have the word because of the people that decided to write it down. And many of them are prayers. I read to you this morning, or it was read to you this morning, Psalm 59. I just want to quickly browse over that again because I just want to point out a couple of things. This is David, King David, who sat on the side of a mountain watching sheep as he was growing in this personal relationship. And he wrote these psalms, not all of them. This particular psalm, Psalm 59 that was read, he, he, he wrote that when he was told by his wife that Saul was sending men to kill him. He was in distress. But I want you to hear the rawness of this. Listen, deliver me from my enemies, O God. Protect me from those who rise up against me. Deliver me from evildoers and save me from bloodthirsty men. See how they lie in wait for me. Fierce men conspire against me for no offense or sin of mine, O Lord. I have done no wrong, yet they're ready to attack me. Arise to help me. Look on my plate. O Lord God Almighty, the God of Israel, rouse yourself to punish the nations. Show them no mercy to the wicked traitors. I think he's a little ticked. They return at evening snarling like, do- like dogs and prowl around in the city. See what they spew from their mouths. They spew out swords from their lips and they say, who can hear us? Okay, maybe he's judging them a little bit here, but you, do you sense the rawness of it? He's not trying to be politically correct. He's not trying to Watch his grammar. He's being raw before his God. He's being honest and authentic before his God. He's letting it all hang out. Why? Because this is about his relationship with his God. He's not trying to impress us. He's trying to know God and let God know him. And he's pouring out his hurts. He's pouring out his struggles. He's pouring out his fear. It's all coming out here. But you, O Lord, laugh at them. You scoff at the nations. O my strength, I watch for you. O my, uh, you, O God, are my fortress, my loving God. God will go before me and will let me gloat over those who slander me. Okay, still he's kind of struggling with those raw emotions, right? Uh, In your might, make them wander about and bring them down for the sins of their mouths, for the words of their lips. Let them be caught in their pride for the curses and lies they utter, consume them in wrath, consume them till they are no more. You know, it goes on and on, but what am I trying to say about David? David is sitting here, and he's saying what many of us think. God, come on. Let them sit in their misery. Bring them down, because we feel that way. But we're not supposed to feel that way. So we pretend that we don't. Well, who do you tell that to? I'm sorry, It's in your thought life. God already knows it. So who are we kidding? Do we struggle with thoughts like that? And absolutely, that's raw. That's simple. That's honest. That's what he wrote for us. Why? Because we're supposed to run from those thoughts. Yeah, but who do we take them to when we have them? David took them to God. 
He wrote them down so we can see that we're not much different from him. Now, what did he do through this psalm and through just about every psalm? You said, even when he says, blot out their children's children. I mean, he tempers that anger and reminds himself of God's promises. He reminds himself of who God is. And he wrote it down. I'm so glad he wrote it down because my journal is filled with stuff like this. And that's what I want to introduce you to friend of mine introduced when I became a Christian in 1982. He, I, I, was, I was new to the Christian faith. I didn't really know how to do it. And he says, Dave, you got to grow in the Lord. And I didn't really quite understand what all that was about. And I said, well, what do you do, Tom? And he says, well, every day I write a letter to the Lord. I said, oh, that sounds cool. I'll do that. So I started writing a letter to the Lord each and every day. That was in 1982, and I still do it every morning. Now I call it journaling. Now, who is this for? Um, for anybody it works for. There is no right and wrong way to do it. The truth is, is that it has become a vital part of my devotional life. It has become a vital part of me knowing Christ. Um, and maybe something you want to try. I think it's a great tool. Uh, now, I want you to remember this journaling deal so i've employed some physical movements to help out in this in this department over the years i uh it's often been said of something called martial arts that uh that they would introduce themselves and they would make a fist and then they would take this and 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 bow and so i went in and i did some research and some say that the open hands represents the four nurturing elements and the finger is slightly bent to represent uh that the the, the person that is doing this should never be arrogant or selfish. And the fist represents aggression or attack, but it also re represents practice and discipline. And the fact that you put the fist into the open hand and you take the open hand and put it around the fist means that you are, are taking those that nurturing elements and with discipline and with control and with restraint you're putting it over that aggression. Others say it's about five lakes, lakes in China, and, and uh, together they're all brothers. I, I don't know what actually the, the real, I do know it comes from China, and what I am going to use it today is the five W's. Five W's, I'll get to those in a second, and the H. And together they do say that this represents, one of the, one of the definitions is it represents servitude. Being a servant of the person you're doing this to. So uh, the five W's of journaling and the H, and together they come because we're a servant of Christ. So that's my little memorization, uh, or hand, hand movement thing. Okay, so the five W's, what are they? Okay, who can journal? We just said that one. Anyone who chooses. Why journal? Well, we just talked about that one. Uh, grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ, to know him. When do we journal? Well, here's the thing, whenever you want. Whenever you want. Uh, there is no set time to write a letter, is there? Uh, some days you sit down late at night. Sometimes you sit early in the morning. Sometimes you sit in the afternoon. Sometimes you sit right after somebody has done an event and given you something. You write a thank you note. You write a note of appreciation. Sometimes it's late at night, those those 
those moments that you're just savoring. Uh, so there is no right or wrong time when to journal. It has become part of my routine that I sit down and journal every morning when I read my Bible. For some of you, it might be in the middle of the afternoon. It might be at night. Um, sometimes I'll pull it out in the middle of the afternoon because I'm really struggling with an emotion and I don't know how to figure it out. And so I go to God. And I, I'm going to get to that in a second, why I, I go there. I, I pray all the time, but sometimes I write down. It helps me focus, and I'll get to that in a second. Um, where to journal? Well, it's like prayer. You do it anywhere you want. Anywhere will do. Whatever works for you. Uh, now, what is a journal? Very quickly, first off, it can be anything from a notebook to a fancy leather journals. I have used all of them over the many years. And for me, anything that has blank play, uh, pages and I can close works. Uh, and I usually put the date on each day that I write just to give me something to reflect back on. Uh, secondly, what, let, me, let me say what journaling is not. Okay, what I mean by journaling, what it is not. First of all, it is not a diary. A journal is not merely a history of what you did yesterday or the day before that. Maintaining a diary is very nice. Maybe some of you do that, and that's a great thing. That's awesome. Keep at it. Uh, I can see how it would be helpful to record things and write feelings and all that. All those, those good things that the journal does consist of. Uh, but what I am speaking of, journaling in the spiritual sense, is not a mere diary it is something to help you and i stress this to help you and i communicate and know god that's the foundation that's that's why we do it it's to help us in a relationship with him thus i like the reference letters to the lord two it is not an heirloom an heirloom is something that you leave as a legacy of sorts, something like a personal history to be remembered by, to inspire those that come after you. Uh, that's a great thing if that's your cup of tea. That's, a, that's an awesome thing. But this journal that we're talking about, that I'm talking about, is not that. It's not an heirloom. In an heirloom, you're writing for others. And that is what is going to be in your mind as you write. You're going to guard your words, phrases, are going to be differently. Why? Because you're writing it for someone else to read. This is not an heirloom. You want to be raw here. This is between you and God. It's not creative writing. Again, you aren't writing to be creative, to be poetic. You're writing to know God. That's the goal. And it's not a Bible study. That is a great endeavor. That's an awesome endeavor. If you have a journal like that, awesome. Great stuff. But you're still not writing to God when you do that. And this is about writing to God. As if he were sitting next to him. In fact, very often I write my prayers out. It helps me. Helps me think about what I'm saying to him. It helps him challenge me in my own thinking. What is... A journal. A journal is a letter to God. You're talking to Him, not just writing it down as you speak. It's a way to get to know your thoughts and put your thoughts in line with His. So it's a letter to God. It's a way to get your thoughts in line with His. And as you write, 
You're going to see your thinking. It's going to describe some feelings and emotions. I think that's why David's attitude changed from the beginning of the psalm to the end of the psalm because he saw where his feelings and thoughts were and he knew and he saw his only refuge was God. Sometimes it forces you to define the emotions you're struggling with and you don't even understand yourself. Closely aligned with that, it's a way to evaluate your thinking. It's a a way to allow God to bring up thoughts and ways of thinking that are wrong. In recovery, we call this stinking thinking. And sometimes as you're writing, it becomes very apparent that you got some of that. And, And the bad thing about that is, Many of us, if we don't confront that, it continues to dominate our lives and messes them up. Uh, Fourthly, it's a way to remind us of what God and his word says to us, the promises that he's given to us, uh, truths that we've forgotten, that we've casually put aside, and we need to be reminded of. Fifth, it is personal. It is between you and God. You don't have to guard your words. Now, some of you might say, yeah, but what if somebody reads this, Dave? If somebody reads this, I mean, this, you know, I've, yeah. Okay, so if that's the issue that you're struggling with, use some kind of code. I mean, I might write somebody's name in there, and I might write a letter. Here's the thing. It's about knowing God, right? He knows who you're thinking about. He knows the feeling and the emotion. So you don't want to write it because somebody might peek someday. Okay, I get it. So just write a code word. Who cares? Because it's not for them. It's for you and God. You getting where I'm coming from on this? This is between you and him. Don't don't count, uh, don't write for other people. We don't do that. We do it for us and him. And for maybe someday that you're going to be able to go back and read over it and see where you've come from and where you presently are at. Don't get afraid to be raw with God. He, He gets rawness. Come on, just read the Psalms. You don't get much rawer than that. And David kind of lets it all hang out. It helps us to focus on our thoughts and not get sidetracked and lose focus. Now, maybe you're not like me, and maybe you have this ability to concentrate and focus and be on task. I don't. I can sit there and start praying, and I am very sincere. Lord, I just pray for Pastor Dick. I pray for, for, and all of a sudden, my stomach growls, and I'm reminded of the wonderful fresh break bread that baked bread that we have in the kitchen, and suddenly I want a piece of it. And suddenly, in the middle of that prayer, I will get sidetracked and find myself thinking about getting a piece of bread. Wouldn't that be nice with a cup of coffee? A bagel. <laughs> oh, man, a really nice bagel. And sit. Next thing, oh, Lord, I'm sorry. I just, 
Or, or, or how many times you sat there and you're really particularly tired this morning or this night and you find yourself praying and the next thing you do, you wake up and you kind of wipe the drool off your face and you think, oh, I fell asleep. I'm sorry, Lord. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Well, what I find is that when I sit down and write, it allows me to focus on what I'm doing and what I'm saying. And it's a great, great tool for me. Um, so... Um, if you're not one of those people that don't get sidetracked by your to-do list in the middle of prayer, um, then maybe this is not something you want to try. But for most of us, I think it's a great exercise. I think it's a great discipline. But again, it is for you knowing Jesus. So, the fist. We talked about the five W's, and um, there is no set way. How do we journal? There's no set way. Uh, here's the H, uh, whatever works, uh, and remember it's personal, it's for your personal relationship with, with Jesus Christ, and actually finding new ways to journal is a great way to sort of breathe fresh air into your relationship with Christ. So I want to do it, I, I, there's some space on your handout, and what I'm going to ask you to do, now not all of you have writing implements, so if you don't, that's okay, I'm going to give you a few minutes just to think about it. And I'm going to encourage you to go home and at least try it for a few days on your own. Um, some of you might want to make this as a priority and say, you know what, this is what Pastor Dave said, so I'm going to just give it a shot and I'm going to see if it helps me. Uh, stay consistent. Don't get bent out of shape if you don't make an entry every day. Remember, it's between you and God. It's for your own benefit and your relationship with the, to get to know Him. And for Him, well, He knows you. So it's really for, for you to get to know him and to know yourself. So uh, here's what I want. I, I, I gave a, a couple suggestions in your uh, uh, handouts, and I gave you a, a, a verse of Scripture that you can sort of contemplate, and that is that, that passage in John 17. You can go and read the whole passage, because what I do find is sometimes journaling, uh, what I do u- utilize with it is Scripture, and sometimes I will read a passage of Scripture, and that passage will speak to me, and as it speaks to me, I'll want to write things down. I'll want to write what God is saying to me, so I don't forget it, because I, I tend to be forgetful. You know, I forget my keys. I, I'm, I'm going to forget what things that he, he said to me. So I, I want to write it down. So uh, you might choose that passage that he read before, Psalm 14 too. And you can read those, those Psalms. And I put in here, in your own words, write what it means to you. How does it apply to your life pleasantly? And then the whole time you're talking with God as you're doing this, okay? Write down what you think, not what is correct. What do you think? What's going on? What's it saying to you? What would you like that to look like in your life? How, how do you struggle with it? And be honest. How do you struggle with that? Lord, I really want you to be first and foremost in my life. But Father, I struggle with it. I have this, these, the success of my career in my mind, and I get caught up with working so much and making money, and sometimes that over... I mean, be honest. Um, Write a letter telling God about where you are with him right now and where you want to be. What you think you need to do. Here, there's no right way. Just be honest. Be simple. Don't focus on grammar and words. Don't focus, uh, focus on trying to explain your feelings. Um, 
Sometimes you'll be amazed as you try to explain them uh, what's coming out of you. Um, write a prayer for Jesus' help. Instead of praying it out loud, write it down. Um, and identify how Scripture relates to your situation. And here's my conclusion. I don't know if this spoke to you. I hope it did. But here's my conclusion. One time I saw a picture of three boys, and they were all jumping on a hot summer day into a beautiful waterfall and pond. And the one kid that's jumping off, he looked like somebody from the Olympics. He was perfectly bent. His hands were in line. His feet were in line. His knees were together. And his picture perfect. You could have taken it and put it on an Olympic uh, poster. The other boy next to him, he was kind of a little goofy and, and you know, his knees were a little bent and, and, and he was kind of trying to dive, but he wasn't going to be very perfect about Third boy, he was all over the place. Legs out here, arms out here. You could tell he wasn't going to make it to the diving part. He was just going to hit with his feet first. But here's the deal. Every one of them got to experience the refreshing water of the pool. It doesn't matter how you do it. It just matters that you jump. God's not looking for perfection. He wouldn't have chosen us. He's just looking for somebody who wants to know him. That's what that passage in Psalm 14 is saying. He looks over the world and he's looking for somebody who wants to know him. How cool is that? You and I can sit down with the creator of the universe and he allows us to know him. Guys, that is what Christianity is about. That is why Jesus came and died so that we can know that simple. Father, I just thank you for your word. And I pray as these people uh, spend some time writing down um, and thinking about their relationship with you. Lord, I just pray that you would bring us to a new place in our relationship with you. I pray that we would discover things about you that we have really never quite identified. I pray that we would see things about ourselves that we've never quite identified. Oh, God, I pray that we grow to know you more. And Lord Jesus, I pray that you would teach us how to live in abundance, whether we be on the mountaintop or in the valley.